been anybody's best time before. Hello, and welcome to 80s Movie Montage, where we also hope to be the best time you ever had. This is Derek. And this is Anna. And this week we are talking about Romancing the Stone. Yeah, and honestly, that's probably, I think that might be one of the best lines from the entire movie. Like, that's a great line. It, it is. I mean, I, I love that whole sequence because this is when they're actually looking for the, the stone, the the treasure. They are actively hunting. Yeah, the, the water noises you hear that's them digging in water does that even work yeah mother's milk yeah I, okay i guess you can dig in that and they find of course a a small little uh statue mm-hmm. and her reaction Bunny. is immediately it's a priceless statue no it's a worthless uh rabbit like some ceramic rabbit oh remember that book i wrote where the treasure was hidden okay everything's solved in about 30 seconds and they get this uh insanely large what is yeah, it an you, emerald you really uh kind of take issue with how quickly these problems are resolved in this sequence. It was amazing. They're like, it's not really about the stone as much as it's about romancing the stone. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. apparently is like a term. I don't know. I know nothing about jewelry making or any of that. But is apparently that that's that they pulled that from that wow. industry that apparently romancing the stone is when you're kind of like prepping the stone to be placed in a setting. I don't okay. know. Yeah. Interesting. So... As we normally do, we have a really awesome segment coming up with our special guest, so we should jump in because we have lots to talk about. Do we? Yeah, we do. Oh, let's, let's go. Let's do it. Okay. So, Romancing the Stone came out in 84, mm-hmm. and so, unfortunately... Um, I'm kind of, we're kind of starting this off on a little bit of a sad note because the person who wrote this script, Diane Thomas... She passed away very soon after this film was a success. I think she yeah. passed away right around the time, either right before or after Jewel of the Nile, which she didn't um, necessarily actively take part in the creation of that sequel. But because she had created the characters from Romancing the Stone, she has a credit for Jewel of the Nile as well. And she passed away in a car accident. The reason why I'm kind of bringing this up, because we don't we don't often talk about uh you know the the personal lives of the people involved but this story is is kind of heartbreaking to me and she you know had that very kind of cliched um entry into the industry but it's also a pretty amazing story because she was working as a waitress to support herself and michael douglas happened to walk into the restaurant where she worked wow. and she had been working on the script she pitched him the idea he liked it. He bought it for a considerable sum of money. I, when was this? Uh, late 70s. Because you know what would happen if somebody walked into a uh, restaurant or cafe now and mm-hmm. you tried pitching them something? Yeah, they would immediately <laughs> brush you off. Yeah. I mean, or they would like very politely, uh, you know. Just let, accept it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, let you pitch it. But actually, you know what? Now that I'm thinking about it, people are so litigious that... Um, they wouldn't even take it. Yeah, they'd be like, no, you can't tell me anything. Because then, like, 10 years later, when right. something is somewhat similar... Yeah. Yeah. So, so they probably would immediately cut you off. And then you'd probably be fired for, you know, disrupting a person's, like, lunch or dinner by trying to pitch your The script. response would just be, sir, this is a Wendy's. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, so it's like kind of one of those very, um, you know, fantasy land, but actually happened in this case stories. And 
So he bought the script. And what ended up happening is that also because of the success of the film, he bought her a Porsche. And unfortunately, she was celebrating. I don't know if it was like directly related to like celebrating the film, but she was like out with a friend and her boyfriend. They all had had some drinks. Um, The boyfriend, I guess, had had the least to drink. And so he was driving and an accident ensued. Um, Unfortunately, Thomas, she died instantly. Uh, The passenger also eventually succumbed to their injuries. The boyfriend survived. But it is heartbreaking to me because people, whether you're a writer, director, whoever, you work so hard to try to get into this industry and to finally have gotten that foothold. And from what I read, she had been working on a script for Steven Spielberg Wow! at the time that she passed. So sorry to kind of go down that path, but like it is so heartbreaking to me that that's how her story turned out. And um, I mean, she had at least one really amazing film that came out of her career. But people, please just... Like, PSA time, do not drink and drive, especially nowadays when we have Ubers and Lyfts everywhere. Like, well, and even then, they certainly had the ability to taxis. find a better yeah. way home. Like, yeah. it just, it is, like, so sad. But, okay, moving on to the director of the film, who we actually have talked about before. We so, have? Yes. What has he done that I may be familiar with? <laughs> so, it's a gentleman by the name of Robert Zemeckis, hmm. and... <laughs> Wow, he is not the dra- ringing any bells. Yeah, I, it really should ring some bells okay. because we talked about him in our eighth episode, which was on Back to the Future. Oh, that yeah. guy. Okay, yeah. Okay, I've heard of that guy. So, and because we did kind of do a deep dive on him, um, my recommendation to all of our listeners out there is to revisit episode eight if you want to hear a little bit about Mr. Zemeckis. It's a fun um, one. We talked about the whole trilogy with our guest, Casey Campbell. Yeah, we, I mean, we really go for it in that one. So it's definitely a fun episode. Um, and yeah, I don't want to get too redundant. I mean, it's going to end up happening more and more where we have these individuals in the films that uh, we've referenced before. So yeah, check out episode eight. Also, uh, cinematography, we've talked about this gentleman really? before. Yeah, we have. Um, so it's a gentleman by the name of Dean Cundy. Uh-huh. And so here's the thing. He did the cinematography for Back to the Future. So you, again, can go back to that episode. We don't actually reference him, but... Are we talking... I mean, this almost feels like it is Back to the Future. I know, right? It's uh, heavy deja vu vibes. But we talk about him in episode 12, which is Big Trouble in Little China. Oh, really? Okay, Because he was the DP on that as well. Nice. So... You can go back to the back to the back to the future. Back to the back to the back to the future <laughs> episode. But if you want to hear a little bit more about Cundy, um, episode twelve is the place to go to hear about him. So this is honestly a first where we've had three people in a row that have already been on films that we've talked about. But um, I did want to talk about because it is a big part of this film as well is the costume design. Okay. And this lovely lady that we just chatted about in the previous episode, 16, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. She also did the costume design for this movie. So a woman by the name of Marilyn Vance. Shout out to the scene where they start dancing because Michael Douglas is looking sharp. Yeah. I mean, he looks fantastic yeah, in that. Yeah, he, and you know what's interesting is so, like, he picked out his own wardrobe, <laughs> he, he and did. he picked out hers as well. He did yeah. a pretty good job. He did a great job. He did a great job. So, really, Marilyn Vance did a great job. Exactly. Yeah. 
So if you want to hear a little bit more about her, go to episode 16. I am just like a lot of cross references here. A lot of cross references. Okay. So because we are able to kind of like move quickly over these individuals that like we usually kind of go do a deep dive on um, in other episodes, I wanted to bring up some uh, people that, you know, we rarely uh, and we should, but, you know, then it really would be like a five hour podcast. Um, (laughs) But I wanted to bring up... uh, the person behind the production design okay. of this film. Because, again, I think this is a, a movie. I mean, look, this is not to disparage other films where, like, maybe you're like, oh, production design it's pretty easy. It's never easy. But no. I would say that this film is one of those films where it has a very specific look to it that helps with, like, the tone of it, the story, you know, makes it all believable. Mm-hmm. And the person behind the production design in this film is a gentleman by the name of Lawrence G. Paul. Cool. Yeah. So want to give a little bit of, you know, shout out to his other credits, because then you'll begin to kind of see how these people make an impact on these films. So among his other production design credits, little film called Blade Runner. Oh, man, that movie's that movie is equal parts great movie and also a great movie to fall asleep to. (laughs) Oh, man, I don't. Is that a recommendation of it? <laughs> it's a recommendation if you like if you're amped up and have the energy to enjoy a great sci-fi, one of the best sci-fi movies possibly ever, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. then yes. Also, if you're looking for a snooze, throw that on and that music just like washes over you. Okay, for the score. Okay. Between like the atmosphere and the music, yeah. you have to be ready to watch that. Otherwise, yeah. you're not gonna make you it. You have to be in a certain headspace. Yeah. Um, but yeah, speaking of atmosphere, I mean that movie is like overflowing with atmosphere and that in large part goes to like the look of it and that goes back to mr paul yeah also among his credits back to the future (laughs) we can't get away from back to the future in this film or in this episode um also project x license to drive harlem nights another one that has like a really distinct look to it predator 2 oh okay i mean they're predator movies yeah, that one that one was crazy. That one was like really bizarre. At least it was connected to the first Predator. I feel like a lot of the other Predator sequels they just do get their like, own thing. Well, let's put them on another planet. Yeah. Let's have aliens. Yeah. Let's do whatever. Yeah. Also, City Slickers and Escape from L.A. I still haven't seen that one. So, but I but all those films, you know, they have like a distinct world, a distinct look. Oh, and yeah. thank you, Mr. Paul, for your talent on all those films. Mm-hmm. Okay. So moving on to the editing on this movie, um, in this case, we have two people who get credit for okay. the editing. And that's okay. That 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 can happen. I Is mean, that that's, because of some of the post stuff that they... That's actually a really great point. Um, yeah, we bring that up also with our special guest that, you know, this film didn't actually test well uh, the first time around. And What's so... Wrong with people? Yeah, I mean, but the thing is, is that I did hear that Zemeckis did a pretty significant overhaul of the film in certain regards. Like, he cut down the overall length, and then also he really added, um, as far as, like, the beginning and end, like, the bookends oh, of Joan the film. Oh, Wilder yeah. in her apartment finishing up yeah. the book. and Exactly. Okay. So you, you bring up actually a really good point that that's 
perhaps the reason why there are two editors, because perhaps by the time they had all that additional footage, the initial editor wasn't available anymore. And yeah. so they had to bring in somebody else. He was working else. on Back to the Future, probably. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um, but as far as the two gentlemen that are credited here. So the first one, a uh, man by the name of Don Camburn. He is turning 91 this year. Wow. Good yeah. for him. Yeah. So good on him. And I mean, this is incredible, some of his credits. So one of his earliest credits, a little film by the name of Easy Rider. I've heard of it. Yeah. Which is crazy because I'm actually listening to my own podcast. Like not... I'm you not have your own podcast? No, no. I'm what is happening? I'm listening to a different podcast about Easy Rider right now. Oh, okay. And I mean, for anybody, look, it's not an 80s film. I'm going to try not to do a deep dive on it. But it was a pretty like loose filming atmosphere. And they just like accumulated a ton of footage. So I could only imagine what this guy had to go through. So you guys want like a 10-hour movie? Right. And it doesn't really, I mean, it is absolutely not a traditionally structured film no and so he had to kind of he made a movie yeah he had to make a story out (laughs) of it so i mean i feel like that's like a pretty pretty tall order and he did great so easy writer um also he was the editor on the last picture show critically acclaimed film uh the cannonball run those are fun movies those are like i have not seen those in so long that i'm pretty sure when i do watch them again they're gonna it's gonna be real bad I don't. I don't we'll have see. High hopes. We'll we'll watch yeah. it for sure. Yeah. Another fun movie, Harry and the Hendersons. Yeah, that was a fun movie. Yeah. yeah, a less fun movie for me, Ghostbusters two. It's okay. It's okay. Hey, this pink slime gets angry. Yeah, The Bodyguard. Okay. Rookie of the Year. E. And then oh. It's not that bad. No, I'm gonna. I'll I'll stand up for this one. I think it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then his last credit was for the Glimmer Man in '96 when he was 67 years old. So. That was a Steven Seagal movie that I never saw, but my friends and I would just constantly make fun of the name of that movie. The Glimmer Man. Yeah. I mean, I feel like there are funnier names out there, but okay. It, he's supposed to be so tough and he's the glimmer man oh. I, I don't know i mean maybe that's a, like intimidating thing to be known as the glimmer man it's not intimidating for sure no but anyway all right the other editor on this film gentleman by the name of frank morris double r double double s morris and he again great uh resume of credits he did a ton of tv work and then kind of mm. moved more into film it looks like uh he did short circuit it's a fun movie. Bird on a Wire. Okay. Point of No Return. Nick of Time and Incognito. So also Nick of Time is an underrated movie, I think. Yeah, I agree yeah. with you. Mhm. Okay, so I have, I'm I have one more crew member to, that I want to bring up. Sure. I don't know if you're going to bring him up. Okay. There was an actual map designer. Yeah. Were you going to bring him up? I or? wasn't going to bring him up. I mean, we talked about it just like for a hot second with Krishna. Because his credit is kind of phenomenal. He's credited as Dr. Krypton, the map designer. And then a little bit further down, you see that it is, in fact, uh, Paul Hoffman, map designer, as Dr. Krypton. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that particular attention to detail. That They're like, <laughs> yeah. no, we're going to really have a cool map. Um, it was a cool map. It yeah. was kind of a Mad Magazine like cover foldover. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So moving on, we actually do 
talk about this gentleman at length with our special guest. So I'm going to do a little bit of an abbreviated version. Okay. But we have to bring up Alan Silvestri because yeah. you and I, we... Uh, we use him as a little bit of a punching bag because the score in this movie, it's a little cheesy. It is like pure 80s. It, it is, yeah. I don't, I mean, it's it's cheesy, but it's dated. And I mean that in a complimentary way yeah. because it fit that time and like what you would think a score should be for this type of movie in 1984 pretty perfectly. Yeah. It's it's like ridiculous. There, She's steering the wheel of a car in a river floating <laughs> down in Columbia. And it's just like, heavy sax and synth it's like what's happening right now yeah it's and you know i tell a story with krishna about how it wasn't that well received by the person who is the producer on zemeckis's next film which was steven spielberg yeah and so zemeckis had to kind of fight for him but it all worked out just fine because this guy has had an amazing career he did do the score for all the back to the future movies and you know some of his other credits Predator and Predator 2, another movie that's coming back. Yeah, into... and those were great scores. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Who Framed Roger Rabbit. So he he has had a longstanding relationship with Zemeckis since. So what you're saying is don't judge him by this one, even though we say it's not that bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, he was like kind of starting out. It's so... a little heavy on the sax. Yeah, I mean, I, I've said this before. Y'all, We all have to start somewhere. So it's like... You know, we like to razz, but he's had a really amazing career and has created some really beautiful scores. I mean, a couple of his other credits, The Abyss. Okay, um, good. Death Becomes Her. He also worked on The Bodyguard. Uh, we were talking about this with Krishna. He did Force Gump, which is a very iconic yeah. score. And then on top of that, he's done several of the Marvel Avenger movies. So he did the Avengers and Infinity War and Endgame. At least he contributed to them. So the wildest so, part about that to me is that the guy who who put together all of these incredible scores, like go from the Avengers to the scene we just talked about in Romancing the right? Stone. <laughs> There's no way it's the same guy. There's a lot of growth there. Yeah. But it is growth over the course of about 30 years. So yeah. I hope that we all grow and change for the better <laughs> over several decades. Okay. Moving on to the stars of this film. What's fun is like, I don't think we have uh, had a chance to talk about any of these people. So they're all kind of like new people I think to so. us. Yeah. yeah. So starring Michael Douglas, mm -hmm. um, I mentioned at the top of the episode, you know, he was the one who actually bought the script. So he also has a producing credit on, on the film. But he plays Jack Colton, Jack T. Colton. Yeah. My apologies. He stands for trustworthy. Yeah. And actually what's interesting is that, you know, he had, of course, already been like acting at this point, but this is still like a little bit earlier in his career. And he was already 40 when wow. when this movie came out. So, um, I mean, after this movie, okay, so Jewel of the Nile, which we've all kind of admitted is like a pretty poor sequel. It's not great. Yeah. But it is a sequel. It is a sequel. Yeah. And then he goes on to have these, like, I think really interesting roles because he definitely did not shy away from playing arguably, like, unlikable characters. No. I mean, Jack T. Colton is an interesting role for him because a lot of his career is more, like, straight-up serious drama. Yes. It's, it's less of the yes. zany comedy than totally. Romancing the Stone would, would indicate. Yeah, he's had a really interesting trajectory because then post 
uh, these two movies. He did Fatal Attraction. Yeah, Falling Down. Falling Down. And in between those two, so he won Best Actor for Wall Street. Mm-hmm. So he's Oscar-winning actor. Um, and then he reteamed, and we talk about that with our guest. He reteamed with Kathleen Turner and Danny DeVito for The War of the Roses. Hilarious. Which, which that is more zany. It is. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, it's so over the top with like the way that they go after that each other. That is a dark comedy, though, right? Because yes. they are trying to kill each other. The definition of. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, and also, he's pretty infamous for Basic Instinct with Sharon Stone. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say so. <laughs> Your response to that kind of, yeah, says it all. He, I, I feel like um, maybe his character in The Ghost in the Darkness is a slight play on Jack T. Colton. I could see that. Because yeah. sure, they both have an adventure. That's all I got. <laughs> and kind of the look. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, he did Disclosure mm-hmm. with Demi Moore. That's also He was famously sexually assaulted Very by Demi Moore. Very interesting film. Very yeah. curious if that, a film like that would come out nowadays. Um, <laughs> but we can't really talk about it because it's not an 80s film. Uh, but then he kind of goes a little, well, momentarily goes into kind of lighter fare because he's the American president. Actually a very good film. Yeah. Yeah. That was really, a good movie. Yeah, good movie. Another really good movie that I think is quite underrated is The Game. I don't, I mean, yeah, maybe it didn't get as much attention as it should have. It's, I feel like it was rated, I mean, it's a good movie. It's a yeah. great movie with Sean, Sean Penn. Sean Penn. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a game, bro. Yeah, it's it's good. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, and then again, a, a lighter film that I think he did get some like critical acclaim for the Wonder Boys or just Wonder Boys. Yeah. Um, and then also another Marvel connection. Mm-hmm. Hank Pym. Yeah. Ant-Man and the Wasp. Um, and then, you know, the other Ant-Man. Well, I think there's only been one other Ant-Man movie. There right? were two Ant-Man movies. And then he was also in... Um... He was in Avengers Endgame, but I don't yeah, know. Yeah, like when they That's because like of the, literally everybody together. Yeah, that was yeah. one of the part of the time heist. Yes, I think. exactly. Yeah. And then currently he's on the TV show, The Kaminsky Method, Yeah, um, which I think at the very least he won a Golden Globe for, I want to say. So he's doing great still. All these going to be reprising his role as Dr. Hank Pym in a series filming called What If? Question mark. Oh, OK. Yeah. Cool. I think it's a Ant Man. My guess is that's going to be a uh, a Disney Plus Ant Man prequel series. Wow, the original that was Ant-Man. a mouthful. Yeah, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't even like saying it. <laughs> okay, so moving on to Joan Wilder. Joan Wilder, otherwise known as Kathleen Turner. Okay. And again, a person who has had a extremely accomplished career. Um, preceding this film, she was in Body Heat. Um, she did a lot of really great 80s films. So then after this, Pritzi's Honor, Jewel mm-hmm. of the Nile. I love this movie, Peggy Sue Got Married. I did feel she? pretty strongly that we're going to cover it at some point. I think so. Yeah, it's it's really a fun movie. She's not credited, but she is the voice of Jessica Rabbit. And really? who framed Roger Yeah, okay. she's like credited in like other Roger Rabbit um, projects that happen after this. But as of like right now, she doesn't get like an official credit, but it's like everybody knows. Like she has such a distinctive voice yeah. and, and she knocks it out of the park. Like really nobody else could have been that voice. Um, so she did a great job there. Like I mentioned, War of the Roses. And then she's had like an interesting later career too. Like it's. Um, Are you really going to skip V.I. Warshawski? <laughs> I was planning to, but I guess not now. Um, but she plays the mom in the Virgin Suicides. Hmm. 
very different kind of role. Yeah. Um, but she does a great job. I personally really love her. She has a recurring role on Friends, and she, I mean, she really does a great job. She plays Chandler's transgendered mom, and it's really, really good. Okay. Um, she she really does a great job, and I guess she also was on Californication, but I never, never watched that show. She was also a uh, a voice on Three Below: Tales of Arcadia, a great DreamWorks series. Yeah, I mean she's still working. She's done a ton of stuff. Yeah, she's still working. I'm just uh, always having to pare down because people have just had like huge careers. Yeah. Um, moving on to who you believe to be the star of this movie. Yeah, I don't understand how he is not first build in this movie. He is third. He's right after uh, Michael Douglas and Kathleen Turner. But yeah, Danny DeVito as Ralph. Amazing. He's great. He's he's great. He's honestly amazing comic relief and he does a great job. And not surprisingly, he he's just a really talented actor and he's had an amazing career. So one thing that I think is really interesting is so it might be in fact his very first. It's it's definitely one of the very first few credits that he has so he has a bit part in one flew over the cuckoo's nest i don't know if you remember that no i don't yeah it's a smaller part but what's interesting about that is so i don't know if you're aware that michael douglas so one flew over the cuckoo's nest one best picture michael douglas was a producer on that so he actually won for one flew one flew over the cuckoo's nest as a producer of the film okay and so he's had a relationship with danny devito and in fact i read that they like shared an apartment in new york city when they were kind of like just starting out although i don't i don't know anything really okay this is me being a little throwing a little shade because it's like yeah for starting out your dad's kirk douglas like you're gonna probably be fine michael douglas you have (laughs) you have an advantage you have an advantage but in any case yeah we so i did not watch this show because i was too young and also it has like one of the most depressing oh taxi yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah that that opening song just like makes you want to curl up and die it's 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 terrible yeah but somebody loves it. hilarious what's the best lead into this comedy Let's make everyone no, no, no. Real I can't depressed. even do it. It's just so bad. But um, he has like a really iconic character, Louis De Palma, in it. I think a lot of people know him from that. He ran like the he like the taxi. Yeah, whatever, he yeah. was. I don't know dispatcher. I guess. Yeah, I yeah. think So um, he's in terms of endearment. Again, he returns for Jewel of the Nile. He's in Ruthless People. He also returns for The War of the Roses. One of my absolute. And, and he's. He is foul and disgusting, but he's so great. Are you talking about It's Always Sunny? I could be, probably, <laughs> I guess. But no, I was talking about uh, Batman Returns. Yeah, which I thought was uh, fun that, that he makes a Batman reference in Romancing the Stone. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was fun. That was fun. <laughs> um, and he's he's just great in that. It, it like makes me so sad that that's not an 80s film, because I would love to cover that. Yeah, it was a great sequel, too, with Catwoman. Great and- sequel. Much better sequel than Jewel of the Nile. But, well, yeah. Moving on. Um, I love this film. People should definitely watch this movie if it's not on their radar. Get Shorty. I know it's become a TV series, but the film is really good. It's good. It's, and he's it's, in that as well. Sometimes I feel like it tries to be too, like, clever. And John Travolta is, like, I think that's, so pleased with himself in every scene. He, sure. So but I smug. love that. I love So smug. I love that movie. Um, also in LA Confidential, I. 
now I've obviously seen the movie, but I don't really remember this role. But I guess he also was in Virgin Suicides, had a smaller role in it. Hmm. Um, And then this is what I think is really interesting. So he is in the movie. And again, like I've seen the movie, but it's been a while. He's in the movie Man on the Moon. Oh, yeah. Okay, so you do remember him from that. But no. He, he, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I just remember the movie, but I don't remember him being in it. Well, here's what's so interesting about it is like in case people, you know, aren't making the connection on their own, Man on the Moon is about Charlie Co- or um Andy Kaufman. Yeah. Not the screenwriter. Andy Kaufman, the comedian, who also had a role on Taxi. Exactly, yeah. So it's like, oh, well, then he maybe was playing himself. I don't know. No, he plays some character named George Shapiro. So I find that so interesting that that Danny DeVito, who actually worked with Andy Kaufman, is in a movie about Andy Kaufman, but he's not playing himself. That is wild. Yeah, it's wild, right? Um, also, Big Fish. And then you mentioned what he's been on for quite a while, and it's been a hugely successful show. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah, I don't know if he if he saved that show or if that show needed saving, but it added such a different element to the mm-hmm. movie it really got to weird it was already a weird show yeah where they just do awful things but when his character frank was introduced into the show it just got even more bizarre yeah but he, i mean it's been going i don't i don't know off the top of my head if there's been any 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 emmy nominations that's a hard probably not thing to say but um but maybe should it's a great show yeah. okay so moving on to ira cousin ira mm-hmm. also known as zach norman so, you know, he hasn't had quite the career of these other actors, but he's been working. He was on the A-Team. Um, and then two of his other credits that, like, at least I was familiar with, he was in Cadillac Man and also The Nanny. I actually did love that show. Fran Dreiser. Yeah. Yeah. I can <laughs> tell from your look that it wasn't exactly it wasn't, a favorite uh, of yours. No, I was more of a Belvedere guy. Okay. Fair. Yeah. Fair. Um, so moving on to Manuel Oeda and he plays Zolo the like for real bad guy he's only Zolo there is only Zolo there's only Zolo now talk about an acting career and he's still going strong let's do it let's talk about his acting career currently yeah 263 acting credits holy shit yeah so this man is a workhorse um so as has sometimes come up with some of these actors so he uh, came out of like kind of the Mexican entertainment industry. Okay. And I think that like from reading his credits, which again, crazy extensive, that's mostly where his work has been. Um, so both, you know, Mexican cinema, Mexican television. And unfortunately, I'm not well versed in that industry. I am and- not familiar with Como Dice El Dicho. But that is right. one of his shows. Right, exactly. So please, if, you know, he he does an amazing turn in this film. I actually thought that um it was Omar Sharif <laughs> when I was a kid oh. from Dr. Zhivago. They look really similar. I think and my so, uh, my favorite series that he was ever in, the title, if I'm just going by titles, yeah, it's got to sure. be Ask God Forgive. For, uh, I screwed that up. Ask God for Forgiveness, Not Me. Wow. That sounds pretty heavy. That sounds like a movie, but it's actually a series. That sounds like a oh. lot of asking for forgiveness. <laughs> That's a lot of forgiveness. But among some of his um, credits that maybe our audience would be a little bit more familiar with, um, he okay, so earlier in his career, Alfred Hitchcock Presents. Um, he was also in projects called The Man in White, Loving Ghosts. What? 
Yeah. Okay. Loving ghosts. <laughs> Outside the law. Herod's law. The spring. The other woman. And wild heart. So he's done. Wild heart? Wild heart. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So a ton of work. Um, great actor. Okay. Moving on to Alfonso Aru, who just... He's not in it for very long, but I would say second to Danny DeVito, he he really brings a lot of like great comedy. Yeah, no, his Wong. little mule. Yeah, his exactly, mule is amazing. exactly. So, um, among some of his, so I thought this was really interesting. So, okay, so earlier in his career, he was in the movie The Wild Bunch. Okay. And then here's what I thought was like so fun. So he was in a project called Tres Amigos. Amigos. As you can tell, I'm not a Spanish speaker. I'm awful. I'm awful at anything that's not Trace funny. Amigos? Yeah. It sounds like Three Amigos. And he's in Three Amigos. Wait, are you telling me that there is a Three Amigos and a Trace Amigos? Yes. Holy shit. Right? Yeah. Isn't that so fun? Are they the same movie? No. How different are they? Well, I don't know. We're to find I'm out. only familiar with Three Amigos. We got to find I had, I had to like bring that up. Yeah. Because I thought that was so fun. That's incredible. Right? And then also, I thought this was like such an interesting credit. This isn't as an actor, but as a director, he directed A Walk in the Clouds. Wow. With Keanu Reeves. That's pretty cool. Isn't that so interesting? So I was like, wow, okay, that's pretty cool. And I had no idea. Again, best title. Where the hell's that gold? From uh, 1988, a TV movie. Plays the role of Indio. That's a great title where the where the hell is that gold where the hell is that gold all right moving on again this is somebody who has um our last two individuals actors that i want to bring up they have smaller roles but they've had really extensive careers and they both do really great in these like smaller roles like they really i think make an impact um despite kind of small screen time so the first is holland taylor she Mm -hmm. plays gloria who is jones like uh book Manager? editor okay yeah and so she's there i think just in the very beginning of the film yeah i don't think wait does she see her again when she comes back i don't remember she does because she's like weeping at the end that's of right her new book, in which her is office essentially what we just saw yes yeah. yes you're absolutely right so she's still working right now um but she's among so recognizable totally I mean, yeah yeah, you, and you, she has, like, a very recognizable voice, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So among some of her credits, Bosom Buddies. Yeah, I think I actually remember her yeah, from that. Yeah, yeah. Um, she also came back for Jew of the Nile. Uh, she's having a baby, going places. Saved by the Bell, the college years. Oh, God. But I had to have that. Yeah. Yeah. To Die For, which is a great film. Uh, the Truman Show. I know her very well from Legally Blonde. She mm. plays the very tough professor who eventually is Elwood's like ally. You could see that. Yeah. The Elwood, um, two and a half men. I think she plays the mom yes. of the two of them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Can't say I really watch that film. I don't, but she's in it enough to where if you've just randomly seen any episode in the time that it would take you to switch to literally anything else, you might see her. You might see her. Yeah. She also was in the series that came out just this year, Hollywood. She has a pretty oh, significant yeah. role in that. Okay. And then also She's in Bill and Ted Face the Music. So she is in a movie that's like out right now. Wow. So yeah. yeah. That's awesome. So she is working. Okay. So the last of our actors, um, I am kind of breaking my own rule here because if we've brought them up before, I typically don't like go through 
their resume again. Um, it's what? an actress by the name of Mary Ellen Trainer. She plays Elaine, who is Joan's sister. Mm-hmm. So we brought her up because she's Mrs. Walsh in The Goonies. Yeah. So you can definitely go back to that episode, but I'm going to be, she's no longer with us and she just, you know, passed too soon of cancer. And so I just wanted to really quickly go through her credits because she had an amazing career and she is part of like my childhood in some of these films. So like I said, she's in the Goonies. She's Mrs. Walsh. She's in all the Lethal Weapon movies, one through four. That's an accomplishment. Right? Yeah. Monster Squad. Action Action Jackson. Action Jackson. Yeah. Yeah. She's in Die Hard. Okay. She's in Scrooged. She's in Ghostbusters 2. Death Becomes Her. She has a really bit part that's not credited in Forrest Gump, but she's in Forrest Gump. And then Anywhere But Here. So She's also in a bad movie that was a great book, Congo. A Michael, oh, okay. I think that's a Michael Crichton book. Yeah, I think you're right. And it was a really good book. Bad movie. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Film synopsis time. Oh, yeah. All right. Here we go. Ready? I'm ready. A mousy romance novelist sets off for Columbia to ransom her kidnapped sister and soon finds herself in the middle of a dangerous adventure, hunting for treasure with a mercenary rogue. I mean, that's pretty good. I would say that she wasn't, in fact, going to try to ransom unless that means to, like, pay the ransom. Yeah, I'm the wording unclear, is a little weird. But that's actually one of the one of the better synopses. Yeah, it's a little wordy, but it pretty much gives you an idea of what the film is about. I kind of, I'm not saying, like, it's wrong, but I kind of just instinctively. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you think it's wrong. No. I was just gonna say I kind of instinctively take issue with the word mousy I just really hate that they're like making this uh condemnation of her appearance um because really mousy applies strictly to looks like you don't say like oh she has a mousy personality it's always about how a person looks what if it uh just said a timid yeah I could go with that just from her reaction to sure. those really aggressive New York street vendors. Yeah. She seemed a little timid at first. Yeah, no, I could I could get on board with that. It was just that's the one part that kind of bothers me about it. And we talk about that with our special guest about this, you know, kind of like how characters arc always, at least in the 80s and even well beyond for women in particular, involves like uh, overhaul of how they look. How am I going to know that Joan Wilder has grown in this movie unless... She suddenly gets hot at the end. Exactly. But she does. So I'm like, I know that that everything worked out for her. Yeah. She's she's like in a much better place in her life now because she's now she's like conventionally beautiful. Anyway, <laughs> so that's kind of, <laughs> that's kind of um, where we are with the synopsis. I mean, we now at this point kind of do a deep dive with our guests and we kind of all bring up... Um, you know, how we felt about this movie originally watching it. So as for you, though, like, you know, we always we always review these films right before we record about them. Yeah. So in this most recent screening of it, did anything new come to mind for you that you hadn't like really noticed before or new opinions about it? No, I mean, I, I think it, it was on recently just on on cable. And so I watched it and I thought, oh, man, I really do enjoy this movie. But then watching it again from start to finish, I realized it it perhaps more than a lot of the other 80s movies that we've that we've talked about, it 
it is a little dated mm-hmm. in a lot of like mm-hmm. the the music and character interactions. Uh, it's still fun. Like I still mm-hmm. enjoy watching it, and there's still just like weird stuff that happens. Like I don't know why they made the decision to have that guy say, "Look at those snappers." Every Multiple like times. every single yeah. time he's yeah. in a scene and there's alligators. Look at those snappers. Even when like someone's dying, I think. Yeah. They're, they're like the threat of death is imminent, and he's like the snappers. It's very proud of them. Yeah. So yeah. there's like fun little like things in it, and I always enjoy the part with uh, the little mule. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. the the car race uh so it's not a race it's a chase it's a chase yeah so i still i still like it but i would say that it, it feels dated more than a lot of the other movies that we've watched it's fair yeah. that's a fair assessment and i gotta say like there's actually not really a montage in this movie no there's not i mean there's a little bit of a musical bit when they get when they get their uh, glow up and start dancing. Right, right. Was that in Cartagena? No. That was on the way to Cartagena. That was the on road. the way, yeah. That's what I would name the prequel to this, is The Road to Cartagena. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's really not one to speak of. Um, and I think, you know, I'm trying to think about this now when when I do a quick overview of Zemeckis' work, because I think the same could be said for Back to the Future. I don't think there ever was like a montage on that. No, I don't think there was either. Yeah. The closest was at the very beginning when he's on the skateboard and Yeah, we do yeah. bring that up. Yeah, that's yeah. the closest we got. Um, I don't think there's like and, and now we're moving out of eighties movies, but like I don't think there's like really a montage in Forrest Gump. You heard it here, folks. Oh Robert Zemeckis hates montages. The only thing I can think of is when he's doing his running bit. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's, that's a pretty solid running on empty yeah, montage. Yeah, and that's to yeah. show like pass. So okay, so strike that. But but it seems like he kind of if he can get away with it, he doesn't really. He's not really a montage guy. So you heard it here, folks. Heard, Robert Zemeckis is very selective with his montage placement. Yeah. So I think that uh, that brings us to our great conversation with our special guest, Krishna Smitha. Let's do it. Yeah. And we are thrilled to have with us today actress, producer, friend, and all-around amazing person, Krishna Smitha. Thank you so much for joining us, Krishna. Hey, guys. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> we are we are so stoked to have you on the show. And this one, I think, is going to be real fun because Romancing the Stone has kind of everything in it. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, like we talk about some movies from the 80s where we're like, this movie really kind of like lives separate from the eighties. I don't think I'll say that about romancing the stone. I think <laughs> no, <super> <laughs> no, literally as soon as I turned, we turned it on and the, the music started, we were like, Oh yeah, this is taking us back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, jump, I feel like there's like, because it has like so much in it, there's a lot to cover. So I'm going to jump yeah. in and mm-hmm. ask, you know, so we're talking about 80s movies, of course. Oh, yeah. We're talking mm-hmm. about, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, things from our childhood. So mm-hmm. I'm curious, what was, if you if you do have like any kind of memory of it, what was your first experience seeing this film and about like how old were you and what, what did you take away from kind of seeing it for that first time? So, yeah, the first time I watched it, I couldn't tell you exactly how old I was. Like, I feel like it was, it's kind of a blur because it was part this movie was like one of like many movies that I like watched with my mom. I wouldn't say my parents, but my mom in particular, like we watched it, I watched it on TV. Mm-hmm. I remember there were so many movies like that, like this one, like that were like fun 
um, like fun and any sort of adventure or any sort of like mystery or suspense or thriller. Like, you know, my mom loved those types of movies. And so I just remember just like watching those movies with her and Romancing the Stone was one of them. And I just remember loving, like, I thought Michael Douglas was so cute. And (laughs) (laughs) he has great flow, great hair in this movie. Yes. I mean, there's just like a charm about him. And so I remember just being like, oh, I really like him. And I remember loving Indiana Jones Mm -hmm. too. And so this was like so reminiscent of that. Like there was just like that fun, like, you know, just adventure thing of it that, um, that just like really, really struck out to me. It was just like, and then I think comedies in general, like that was one of the things with uh, my parents, like we watching comedies together was just always great. And I guess that's, you know, maybe, maybe that's true with all families. It's not just unique to me, but there's just something about feeling like, I don't know, just that family bonding time when you're watching something and laughing together. And so um, th- like Shelley Long was like sh- all those Shelley Long movies, like The Money Pit, yeah, and like yeah. Hello Again, totally. and, you know, all those were like big staples in our house, and Three Men and a Baby, you know, like just those those things that you could just like laugh out loud together because of like s- like silly moments were just um, fun. So that's like watching it. Like I watched it again this past week. Um, I was like, oh, it's definitely the nostalgia. Fa- it had more nostalgia factor for me than. Like, like if I were to watch it today, like for the first time, I don't know that <laughs> I would have loved it as much. No, it's, it's just so like reminiscing. Yeah. So many good points. And I mean, I totally agree with you. And that's something that we discuss kind of a lot on the show is how mm-hmm. people respond to these movies if they haven't seen them as a kid. Yeah. And I totally agree with you that like, it kind of is just, you know, this like place in time experience yeah. that you have and that's what sticks with you. And you just can't replicate that if you're seeing it as an adult in 2020. So. No, you really can't because my brother-in-law was watching it for the first time. And so it was my sister and I had grown up with, we're like, oh, it's so good. It's so good. This is like the best movie. And he like, seriously, like I, he was razzing me so much through the whole thing. He was like, really this? This This is so good. Wait, wait, hang on. Let's just, I just want to pause and make sure this is what you're, this is what you're standing beside behind. And I was like, it's great. It's so great. Um, Yeah. It was like. Even just the intro with like the cheesy novel that she's finishing and then it's got to be like the stereotypical, like kind of wacky writer with uh, like, I don't like, I only know one writer and she's not like that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You don't, you don't have sticky notes everywhere. I'm not wacky. (laughs) With like 80 cats. Like, Like, throwing dishes into the into the damn fireplace when you finish something yeah Yeah. i know it's very very dramatic um i one thing that you brought up that i really love and i think that this kind of goes hand in hand with what we were just talking about is how you were mentioning that it these movies these types of movies gave you a chance to just be with your family and and bond and just have like bonding doesn't have to be this like really kind of like intense emotional type like experience it could just literally be watching a silly movie on tv and laughing together and i think that you know that's one thing that maybe attracted derek and i to wanting to cover movies of this era because you you just brought up like a slew of them um Mm -hmm. and i feel like you just don't get that anymore um yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with you. It's, I, I mean, I feel like, I don't know, but do we not, or are we just not at that same age, I guess? Cause yeah. I mean, it is the age and era of like Netflix, Netflix and chill, right? Like, and, and people right. like that's, this is like what people do even more so than like maybe even when we were kids and no commercials in the same. Well, and yeah, yeah and I don't know. It is different because yeah, there was those commercial breaks where we would, you know, like talk about what we just watched and then, or, you know, let me go grab a snack real quick. And I mean, right. I guess you can pause, but, um, I mean, I don't know. I just, I wonder if it's just like a whole new generation that is experiencing it kind of in a different way of, you know, than you're, no, you're totally right. And, and you're also correct that, you know, I think it's probably not going to ever be feasible to take yourself outside of your own experience and your own upbringing to look at something with, uh, without bias. And I guess like for me, and, and I guess I, I'll just say, yeah, I'm probably biased, but I feel like these types of movies from this era, the one thing that I love about them is they don't seem to take themselves too seriously. That's like the only thing that like, even for comedies nowadays, I feel like the stakes are, are higher. Yeah, that's yeah. true. That's true. Yeah, even, yeah. Even no, that guy, uh, that guy got his hand ripped off at the end of this movie. I'm still like, eh. <laughs> <It's> so amazing. <laughs> I, know, that, I mean, I was like, this dude really wants this stone because he just like lost his hand, is bleeding out, and he is. I was because we just rewatched it. We always do the same thing. Like we rewatched the night before we talked to our guests, uh-huh. and I was like. I I don't know. I feel like the guy would like probably be passed out no, at this he point. Lit up that cigar. <laughs> like, <laughs> he got that cigar and lit up and took a puff. He's fine. I know, he, he, he wrapped like, up his own arm. <laughs> like, <yeah. laughs> and then when uh, which by the way, I gotta say for this film, I do think that they like really knocked it out of the park with like the names of the characters like Joan Wilder yeah. she sounds like yeah. a novelist like that was yeah. a great yeah. name for her and like Jack Colton that oh, yeah totally. Jack, Jack, Jack T. T. Colton, Colton. <laughs> Jack T. Colton so I, cool <laughs> I love the names but when at the end you know she's like fighting with Zolo yeah and, Zolo. <laughs> another great name and and she, I never knew that was his she name she hits him with I that know. like piece of wood yes he does yell but I'm like you just got your hand ripped off by an alligator and now it's getting hit by people. Like, I feel like that would be like a scream of epic proportions. And so he, he's tougher than any of us. I feel because yeah. I would not be thinking about anything, but getting myself to a hospital. Uh-uh, <laughs> no, And I really, yeah, I was so curious actually as to what he was thinking about. Cause my sister and I were like, wait, okay. So he just lost the jewel. Wait, like, why is he going after her though? Because what? What's the purpose at this point? That's like, great what point. is he thinking? He wants he, vengeance. He's so vindictive. Because <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're totally right. Like, she obviously does not have the stone. It's in the belly of the I'm alligator. Like, get yourself to a hospital. Your arm is ripped <laughs> off. What is the purpose now in chasing these crazy ladies? And that's the <laughs> other thing about, um, like, I mean. Derek mentioned it when when it was like happening. Like he dies in epic fashion. Yeah. I mean, he oh, already yeah. had his hand ripped off lit and on fire. <laughs> lit on fire. Yeah, and then the fire. <laughs> and then he was on fire. I forgot that moment. Yeah, he was on fire. And then he goes through the grate and basically like gets eaten uh, by. <laughs> The, so the grate that he falls through is the same grate that they were just rolling all over. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Gave way at the yeah. like the the most opportune moment that people were standing over all the time when uh, when they were there the, the whole cousin. time. 
Yeah. It was so convenient. It was so convenient. It was very, I mean, there were so many, I actually, I actually wrote this down. Like, it's funny. Um, Don't make fun of me. I did make a couple of notes because I was like, I don't want to forget to bring that up because, (laughs) but I was like, there was like laugh out loud moments for all these things that you're right. I think like in a, maybe in a movie now would be taken way more seriously of like the guy dying at the beginning. Like that was like yeah. made into nothing like her landlord or whoever that he just stabs and then he's dead. And we're like, did yeah. someone just what? die? Like, like, and was, was this supposed to be funny? Yeah. It, 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 I, and I do kind of like, I, that's another thing that we kind of like, there's all these like rap conversations that we can have, but like, that's another thing that comes up a lot in our conversations are these, uh, instances in 80s films where it's like it's I mean romancing so I'm looking at it right now it is a PG movie <laughs> and and her 80 year old neighbor is talking about why she doesn't use the elevator because of all the raping yeah you're like did they just say that <laughs> like, <laughs> yep that was a line that just <laughs> yeah. and so this is absolutely meant to be a family movie and yeah. there's all of these like really adult uh, content moments that I, I also <laughs> really enjoyed the one stab death, like one stab from like polished knife. Yeah. And the guy just done. <laughs> he just went down. That was it. It was a really small knife. You're right. Which is why I was like, did he die? Is that what just happened? <laughs> like, maybe he just had his own thing going on. He just had enough. Yeah. yeah. Maybe you know, he just that's, that's passed it. out. That's yeah. Thing. I, I and then the fact that her problem. brother-in-law was like chopped into pieces yes. and was like said so like yeah. offhandedly, it's like, well, they found a part of him. And I'm like, wait, what is that? What? All, no, you're totally all these throwaway lines where I'm like, did I just hear that? Like, make me want a prequel. <laughs> yeah. And they don't really like, so obviously the Zolo. Yeah. He's the one who did it. He's a real bad guy. Yeah. He's right. The one right. Who did it. And I feel like, I mean, I guess, you know, there's like. I feel like there's more than the map at stake. Was there some kind of, they don't really, I feel clarify what mm-hmm, went no. down. I thought it would have mm-hmm. been good for the end credits to have a Marvel connection. And it's actually an infinity stone. <laughs> uh, right. You know, that would be incredible foresight on their part. That would be, they, would I mean, be pretty amazing. They did make a sequel. So, you know, it would have. We're not going to talk about that. You, That's yeah. so bad. It's it, really yeah. bad. It, and it's really yeah. unfortunate because they got all of those actors to come back for. And, yeah. I, you know, I do want to concentrate on romancing the stone, but you know, that says something where they get all the actors back to be in the sequel and it like, there's definitely a drop off. Yeah, it just didn't have the same. Although, yeah, and again, focusing on Rose in the Stone, but I just a side note, I guess yeah. I was I was doing a little research on that, too. I was just like reading articles um, and watching interviews of them, like from that from the day. And apparently, Michael, they had to sue. Kathleen Turner to come back to the movie. Oh, I she was supposed know that. He was supposed to do something else, like and but they were like, you have a contract, like you signed a contract. And Michael Douglas was the producer, so he was the one who had to like make that call. And um, yeah, that's, so she was there, kind of against her. Yeah, it is. It's so funny because they came back together again for the War of the Roses. Exactly. And so you know and they had a great relationship. And she's coming back yeah. for the Kaminsky method now. And so you know they have oh. this great. And 
Yeah, yeah, she's gonna play his ex-wife in <gasps> one of the episodes this season. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I that know. Might be, I I watched the first season. I kind of wasn't feeling compelled enough to watch the second, but now I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna yeah, have to. I agree. Yeah. I didn't love the show, but I loved. I love those. I love Alan Arkin and I love Michael right. Douglas. Like exactly. I thought they had such great. But there was, I agree, I wasn't totally vibing, but then I heard that. And Danny DeVito, I love him, obviously, too. And then Absolutely. I was like, oh, I'm going to definitely have to see that. Star but, of Romancing the yeah, Stone. D- Derek yeah, Star really Romancing the Stone. Danny DeVito front and center. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, when I look it up they on IMDb, each other. <laughs> the picture that I see is Danny DeVito on a phone. So. <laughs> Which that, yeah. you know, that brings, uh, I just really quickly wanted to bring up because when you were talking about like how you had like laugh out loud moments watching the movie, mm-hmm. the one that like, and again, it's this like idea of like just not taking itself too seriously is when DeVito sees a picture of like, you know, wanted um, oh, yeah. posting <laughs> of himself and he yeah. goes to grab it and just like falls off the couch. Like, I just <laughs> love that kind of stuff. I think it's hilarious. And Maybe. yeah. Yeah, it's so fun and it's like such like fun. Like I lo- I agree. I love physical comedy so much and that's I agree. Like it's just so fun when they do that kind of thing of yeah. I, I do have one question about Joan Wilder and her apartment before it was ransacked. Why <laughs> does she have so many tiny bottles of alcohol yeah. for someone that never travels? <laughs> We were thinking the same thing. We were like, is she she really looks like an alcoholic. And we know yes. she's not supposed to be. She's supposed to be like this mousy, like nobody. She's not supposed to be an alcoholic, but that definitely reads alcoholic. <laughs> that's when you have like a, a collection of mini bottles, that's a that's like something you'd see in that show intervention. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> No, and that's the other thing, too. And I feel like it's, like, so 80s-ish because I do feel like now you would have people catching these things. But, like, you know, you get a full layout of her apartment because she walks the entire length of it when she's trying to find tissues. And so you see the apartment. They make it really clear that it's gotten ransacked. And then once she realizes that, like, she needs to go to Columbia to help her sister, when she's in that final scene with her editor, she, like... She really cleaned up that apartment pretty quickly. Yeah, because it's all yeah, back, it's like, in, wow. back in order. <laughs> um, I guess it's not too urgent since you took the time to yeah. real quick just tidy up. <laughs> Maybe call maid service, whatever that was. Yeah, yeah, I think she. I think she had someone come over and help out. That's what I. Think. Yeah, <laughs> I it was Holland Taylor. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Holland Taylor helped her out. But I, I love that, and I don't know if, um, like, because you mentioned that you had been doing some research, and I. I think that's fascinating about how they had to get um, like kind of by force Kathleen Turner back because I mean, I, I will say this um, jewel of the Nile. I think it just comes out like a year later. So they really fast tracked it. And they did that. Yeah. They were doing that with a lot of those movies too. Like, mm-hmm. like I remember police Academy, like mm-hmm. once it hit, like they were like, turn, they had like five sequels in like three years. Like it was like, <laughs> the compendium. They like did not like we think like people don't waste time now. We're like, man, people are just rebooting and just trying to right. like make a buck off. But like that's what they were doing. They were like, okay, this this hit. Like let's 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 act now. Yep. Like fast, fast, fast. Like 
Do you think they can and do a police academy now? I don't. There's a ton of movies they can't do now. Yeah, oh, no. A comedy police about academy police ineptitude would not go over yeah. well. Oh, especially yeah, especially that. I was thinking, yeah, yeah, that's so true. Yeah, no. I was, thinking, <laughs> I was you and I, Krishna, were probably thinking more the like really crass comedy. Yeah, like all the sex, it. like yeah, all the crass comedy. Like so much of it is like doesn't play real well yeah. anymore. But none of yeah, it. Like, yeah, there's yeah. almost nothing in those movies that could work. <laughs> yeah, now. that could work. There was now. just like all this unnecessary nudity like it was just totally. like what? <laughs> yeah. what's happening isn't this like a comedy like what's going on i think it's um, settled we're gonna reboot police academy yeah i think that's what yeah you that's you what came out of this, this episode was the episode where the idea was born the, it sparked um so one thing that you brought up that i do feel is a little bit of the elephant in the room is mm-hmm. raiders of the lost ark <laughs> Oh, and mm-hmm. and the comparisons that are often made. So I'm curious when when you were younger, did is that a film that also you were privy to as a kid or did you mm-hmm. do you remember? Were you introduced to Romancing the Stone first or how that came I out? I don't if I'm being honest, I don't remember what came first. Like we were okay. we were a team. OK, you guys, we were like a TV family. That's for sure. Like we watched, <laughs> I watched so much TV growing up. It's like insane. People, I mean, I I would record TV when I wasn't home to watch it later. <laughs> like I watched yeah, that makes so sense. much TV. Um, yeah, that that clocks. Um, <laughs> There was no TV then. To, and now I don't watch TV at all because it's just it's so overwhelming because there's so much. But so I much. but when I was a kid, it was like I was just like I just loved it. So like every time there was a movie on TV, like you know, they would always like play those movies like, you know, in the evenings and I would like record record all those movies. And so we have like a VHS library, all these like movies recorded from TV. Yeah, and you get, like, um, those eight hour VHS tapes, yep. and then you have yeah. the label that has like all the, the different, camp, yeah, for all the different movies. Yeah, time yeah. Fresh, Fresh Prince of Bel Air episodes Monday through Thursday, and then yeah, and then Raiders of the Lost Ark came out Thursday night. Whatever you know, like all everything that came on, and so like there were so many of those movies, and and so like Indiana Jones was also one of those movies um, that came out. Um, you know, early in the eighties, and I, I watched on TV many years, a few years later in the late eighties, mm-hmm. and. Um, and so I don't remember what came first because they all kind of blur together. Yeah. But I I do know that um, I loved Romancing the Stone. I really did like it, but I was obsessed with Indiana Jones. So yeah. I definitely like clung on. There was something about those movies that was different than this movie. This was like fun and I remember it with like fondly, but Indiana Jones like was like, I loved it. So I mean, much. I find it really interesting. First of all, okay, I'm going to, when you were talking about recording shows, I little mm-hmm. sidebar. Um, I, at one point in time was obsessed with a different world. Oh and, my God. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's a great show. And yeah, it's a great show. I like, it was like already in syndication and, um, and so I knew that it was going to be on at a certain time every afternoon. And I, I don't know if I had like an after school activity or whatever it was, but I'd always make sure I taped it so that when I got home, I could, I could watch it. Well, one time I forgot and I mean, it was just so, so stupid to be quite honest, but, but nowadays, (laughs) like, it's not like, you know, on Netflix where you can go to any episode at any time you want, like you don't know when that episode's going to air again. Exactly. The most stressful part of setting up those kinds of recordings where you're programming the VCR to start at a certain time. Yeah. 
mm-hmm. saving time. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Then you end up with like an hour of bullshit. You're like, what is this even? Oh, I forgot mm-hmm. to change this. Ah. But I remember being beside myself that uh, I had forgotten yeah. and calling my best friend and literally crying. And I remember mm. her not understanding at mm. all. <laughs> I was so upset. <laughs> she was a great friend. She really tried to talk me through. <laughs> I mean, how are you going to track that episode down? Are you going to look look it up in the TV guide, printed edition, yeah. and find the, the episode name? And I mean, just... it was so ridiculous. Yeah. I to- just the only reason I'm bringing that up is because I totally get you. Like where, yeah. <laughs> like it was, it was a big deal. So then you would watch deal. the next week, and then it would be like, oh, it's totally no. You know what? This is a different. Yeah. I don't know what and, happened last week, and oh my gosh. And <laughs> I don't think like kind of again making that comparison between you know Raiders. In, well, yeah, Indy, we'll get we'll Indy get back to that. Particular? Okay. We'll get back to that. But like just the era uh, of like TV watching. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think you know today's youngins. Yeah. understand Holy no shit. you're right and anxiety of like missing a show because you really right. didn't know when it was going to air again no and or, or say, like the tape running out like yes. before the show ended and then you're like no yes exactly <laughs> there's so that, many things that mm-hmm. it, it actually sucked like yeah. this even though it's overwhelming as far as the amount of content, I love the fact that like, oh, I missed watching this. I can just watch it on demand or on like the app. Mm -hmm. Or if I get really desperate, I will just go sail the seven seas. Do you know what that means, Krishna? No, no, I do not know. I'll just pirate it. Oh, got it. He, Insider he lingo. Other, yeah, he said that to me the other day. I was like, you're going to what? <laughs> I, when, when it came to my head was like, I'm going to search all over the world. Like, I was like, like a Google, like a Google I'm gonna search. Get a yacht. <laughs> That's fair. That's I'm going to get a yacht like Jack Colton. <laughs> like Jack T. Colton. Who, if I'm going to compare Jack T. Colton and Indiana Jones, there are obviously a lot of comparisons, yeah. but I will say that Jack T. Colton was kind of like the chiller version of Indy because yeah. there's no That's way true. Indy is just going to hang out in a plane smoking literal bricks no. of marijuana. No, 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 no he's not. Yeah. yeah. No. It is interesting, though, the comparisons. And I mean, in the research that I did, um, it it was kind of uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. Disproven. I don't think that's. Maybe that, that is the word. That is a word. That that like romancing the stone was a ripoff of indie. Like mm-hmm. the script was already um, you know, existing and in the world prior to Raiders coming out. Sure. Um, yeah. So, so it's definitely not a ripoff. I will say this though, <laughs> is that it's curious to me that I mean, they're look, the stories are different. I mean, yes, they're both kind of going after some kind of like treasure so to speak yeah but, sure but that's like every adventure movie too exactly yeah. and so the stories are different enough and i don't have any problem with there being like the love story component that's pretty much it's par in the for title. the course yeah 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 so like yeah. so so that's not a problem the only thing that i'm like kind of like scratching my head about is that okay so romancing the stone came out three years later and i would say that like maybe they could have made different choices in terms of how they like had Jack first appear because it's very similar. It is. It's mm-hmm. very similar yeah. to the initial appearance of Indy. If where had like, like mm-hmm. taken a whip out and knocked the gun out right. of right. Right. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's like I kind of feel like they were like intentionally making this like 
comparison or throwback to indie. And I don't know if that was like maybe maybe it was right like choice. was it like a love or because I know Robert Zemeckis and Steven Spielberg had worked together. Yeah, and they're friends. You know, like yeah. I. They, and so they were friends. And so there was definitely some sort of like, you know, I think relationship and camaraderie there of like, oh, and he like named, he named the boat. Orca. Um, yeah. yeah. Orca, like from Jaws. And so like there is, I, I, I wonder if it was like just like a, a nod, like a tip of the hat versus like a ripoff. But and you, you know what, if between filmmakers, they're cool, then I, you know, I can't complain. But I just, that was right. the only thing that I was like, that's so reminiscent. Yeah, of yeah. They bring an indie where you just see him in shadow. I feel like they were trying to make what maybe they thought was a more realistic version of of an indie character. Where when he tried to swing across that that canyon, he yeah, just that like funny. slams into the side. Yeah, <laughs> like she actually makes it, and then yeah. he's like, "What?" <laughs> she makes it and instantly pulls out those little bottles of liquor. Yeah, going back to the whole being an alcoholic. That was one thing that we brought up. <laughs> no, like I love. She's like, she- I need a drink. I lo- I left all my luggage behind, but I have these little yeah. alcohol bottles. <laughs> Close to my heart. Yeah. She's not even like the least bit interested in seeing if Jack is okay. If he's no, no. Down, if any of these things, she's just like very focused on needing to open this like mini. Right. Mini- and I did love that. I did actually love that. He's the one who was like, you didn't even check to see if I was okay. It was like, it's usually the opposite. I was like, that's awesome. That. <laughs> yeah, I just like, like that they acknowledge those things. Like I think that yeah. actually makes for a funnier film when you're like you didn't even care. Like I love that that's that's part of the consciousness of the characters. Right, but, right. But I mean, I I think that like you know to kind of wrap up the whole indie part of it, there. Yes, there's definitely comparisons that could be made, but they are very different movies. Oh yeah, they yeah. are. There's they're they're different. Like I if. If I have to compare, I mean, I guess you just, I mean, I just feels like there's just more, I mean, Indiana Jones is pretty light and fluffy too, but I don't know. This just feels even lighter and fluffier. You know, there, I I feel like we never really get in like the, there's just more mystery and like finding the arc was like always like, and then it took us to here, to here, to here, or, or what we were looking for. It was the arc, right? Yeah. Yeah. Raiders of the Lost Ark, the first one. And then, but this one, I mean, I was just like, they saw the cactus or that big tree and then, and then they saw the waterfall and she was like, look, and then they found the stone. I was like, really? That's, that's the big, that's like, I swear I remembered more of like a, an adventure, but I guess that's just like my child mind, you know, my nostalgia mind remembering that. But I was like, I swear I thought it was like more of a mystery. Like they found it so quickly and there was like very little actual, like, you know, problem solving to find it. Like it was more of the relationship. The the focus was more on the relationship, I guess. Yeah. They, they, I mean, mother's milk. What's that? Oh, there it is. Okay. I'm going to dig. Okay. Oh, it's a priceless uh, statue. No, it's a buddy. Oh, just break it open. Yeah. Yeah. I know. That was like maybe 30 seconds of the film. Yeah. Real fast. She's like, look, Jack, it makes a heart. And it's like, how did you? What? Bad magazine thing. (laughs) Which actually, I I guess they got like a real kind of like map maker to make that map. Like they really actually went through their due diligence to to make it authentic. It was all the scale. Yeah. But you're right, Krishna, you're right that Raiders definitely 
the I think the the bigger storyline is this hunt and and making it somewhat difficult. You know, there's like right you know, they're, they're digging in the wrong spot and all these kinds of things and and it's the the staff is the wrong height and all these. So so that was really the focus. Whereas I think I think you're spot on with romancing the stone. Like Derek said, it's in the title. So really the secondary plot is them finding it. And really it is about the relationship. They were really trying right. to save I mean, that's yeah. And that too. Yeah. That's technically. Yeah. <laughs> Mrs. Walsh from the Goonies. I would have enjoyed it if Raiders of the Lost Ark had instead been called romancing the headpiece of the staff of Ra. No, <laughs> doesn't, doesn't really flow. Doesn't but. work. <laughs> Great breakout for Harrison Ford. <laughs> well, one thing that you you like had said in passing that I'm really like curious your thoughts on is you mentioned the fact that like at the beginning of the film she's this like mousy novelist, mm-hmm. and I gotta say like before it actually became a joke, I think it like kind of hit joke status when she she's all that came out. And oh yeah, you know where mm-hmm. I'm going with this. Yeah, and, totally. Yeah, and like where she's obviously a beautiful, like a very conventionally beautiful young woman, and she's just mm-hmm. wearing glasses. <laughs> and yeah, has her, and, and, has and her, her hair is up in a bun, and yeah. her hair is in a messy bun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh, sweater. she's so mousy. Like, <laughs> exactly, and she's wearing overalls, I think, with paint on them, and she's all that when you first see her. So awkward. Yeah, and yeah. So, so like. One thing that I found was really funny is, you know, again, in kind of just like looking over different aspects of Romancing the Stone, they thought it, it, it seemed to me at least that they thought it was this like really great kind of like subliminal messaging that they were putting through that like as she as her character, Joan Wilder, progresses through the film, she, you know, literally lets her hair down. Mm hmm. Yeah, she turns and, and she literally and in her clothes she gets less and less clothes. She has like uh-huh. less clothes, uh-huh. and it's her like more. Oh, sorry. what did you say, Derek? Her her dress kind of like rips at one point where they're walking, yeah. and, and, and like you see that Jack sees a bit of leg, and he's just is yeah. Like, oh I, my god, I'm I'm just stunned by this leg. I know. <laughs> I think he literally licks his lips. Yeah, yeah. We, did, we did. We did pause the movie there. And that was one of the moments that Tish was like, so are we going to, are we going to call that what it is? That was creepy. That was creepy. Right. And the, the were like, yeah. He was like, do not tell me that you think that was sexy. And I was like, I mean, no. <laughs> yeah. I, I, first of all, I really love your brother-in-law. He really calls call him like he sees yeah. him. Um, (laughs) and he's not wrong and yeah I mean look you do again I think have to look at these films through the context of it being in the context of right right it was like in the moment none of us ever questioned it in that moment we know it's so funny to think back like watching all this stuff now of like what holds up and what doesn't and like of all the things we just like didn't question and like just like took for granted like I mean I will say I mean, this is a random turn. <laughs> like, I literally, you guys, I never questioned the idea of like inclusivity or like diversity. Like, I grew up like, as I said, like a TV addict and watching all these shows like all through the '80s and '90s that were all predominantly white, predominantly yep. like through the male gaze, and always identifying with them, and always like, and never questioning that this wasn't the way that you view the world. And so, 
you know, it's it's not crazy. I feel like when people say, well, that's just locker room talk or whatever, because it's like oh. for so long, we've been brainwashed to see yep. the world yeah. only this way and not even realize until like all of a sudden when people started saying, and then it was amazing. Like I remember seeing, like seeing some shows now and like, and, and all of a sudden, like there's like my heart, like I didn't even realize there was like a part of my heart that like opened up like in a new way of like seeing myself on screen, like seeing like people of color and, you know, and, and, and all of a sudden like feeling that. And so it's just, it's funny how we never like, it's like seeing it now through a different lens, but in that time, like watching it at that moment, like we, it didn't see it. It just felt normal. It just felt like this is the thing. And this is, this is the way I'm supposed to feel. And I'm supposed to feel good that now, like he thinks that she's sexy because she's letting her hair down. And that's what, that's what sexy looks like. And you know, it's, it's, it's so funny to like recognize it now, but in that moment, yeah, no, it was, it was just so accepted. Like I never questioned it. I mean, you just really beautifully articulated um, some really great points. And I'm curious if you don't mind me asking, um, you know, given the fact that like you said that like your TV family and that that was like a big source of like kind of like together time. Mm-hmm. Was it ever something that like did your parents ever kind of have any conversations with you about representation or diversity or anything along those lines? Or was it just for them as well? Like, well, this is what the world is right now. And so this is what we get to watch. Yeah, no, we didn't. We never had those conversations. Um, it was, it was like just taken, accepted. I mean, you know, they were yeah. immigrants who came to America, and so you just like, this is America. You know, like, why would yeah. we see ourselves here? Like, we watched. I mean, our TV didn't just revolve around American television and movies either. It also was um, Indian. Like, we watched Indian movies all the time too. So, got it. Um, okay. We we watched, you know, like other stuff and. Um, like our own, if we wanted to watch like Indian people, like we watched Indian movies. And then if we want to watch American people, like we watched American stuff, but like it was, I mean, it, yeah, it's just so interesting because yeah, cause they're immigrants, but I'm a first generation like American. And so it's like, it is, it is two different things. And so um, I still don't know that they necessarily even, they're like, oh, that's cool. They see inclusivity and diversity is cool for me because I'm in this industry that opens up more doors for me. But it doesn't necessarily, they don't, at least it doesn't seem like it. Um, they don't, and, and they always get excited to like celebrate when like, you know, they're like, oh, look, it's an Indian person getting recognition. That's cool. But um, it, 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 it doesn't necessarily feel like it's it's made them more like, wow, you know, like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't feel like that was like a big deal to them and they didn't, they, it didn't seem, they didn't seem to care that much, I guess, you know, in that way. Well, I mean, and I can't, you know, I can't make any assumptions for experience I haven't had, but like, I think that it probably does go back to just what they maybe accepted at that point in time of what right. was, mm-hmm. what was quote normal, but mm-hmm. it, it's, it's sad because like, you know, one, one of the things that you said in reference to like, um, you know, U.S. based entertainment is like, oh well, that's that's just America. But it's like America is not just white people, like <laughs> right, it's exactly now, now, then, ever, and mm-hmm. and so like, and it that that's why like when we talk about these films, um, and I know this isn't again the film that we're talking about today, but then when you do have opportunities to have someone of color in a film, like, look, I I do love the Indiana Jones films. 
but it's always been a really hard thing for me to kind of like justify the depiction of right. the Indian characters in Temple of Doom. And, right, right. And so like or- it's a really yeah. And and that's yeah. part of it too. It's like when when there were opportunities to like granted, I feel like there there's some hmm. I think that there's some dignity given to the elder gentleman in the in the village. You know, I think mm-hmm. he's depicted um in in a respectful way, but that's kind of the outlier, to be quite honest. Right, um, right. It's and, still the white savior trope of exactly, like he's coming exactly. to sa- they couldn't save themselves. They needed him to come and save right. them and their village, you know, and it's it's putting them in the oh, the victim mentality. You know, regardless. No, totally. And it's, we talked about this actually also with, um, big trouble in little China that, you know, it's, it's Mm -hmm. this weird push and pull because it's like, there's a lot of stereotypes. There's a lot of damaging stereotypes Mm -hmm. that are are perpetuated in that movie. And at the same time, it's interesting in that the actual like real hero of this, of that story isn't true. Isn't major difference, Mm -hmm. major difference. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's an interesting example, but I think overall, like like you've both mentioned in in the eighties in that era, you know, you would generally just see white movies for white people, and to the extent that you saw any diversity, they were often individuals, who, yeah, who were placed yeah. in mm-hmm. these character stereotypes of who like white even people would think that they should act like. Right. Even like, yeah, romancing, bringing it back to romancing the stone, like looking at like all the Colombians, you know, like oh, all right. the different. <laughs> yep. Absolutely right. <laughs> all so, like these stereotypes and the only ones that are really are just like Jack and Jack and Joan. Everybody else around them is like kind of a goofy. Like, like any when they, South when American they, country must be this like ramshackle like set yeah, of buses. And they're all drug dealers. <laughs> yeah. And, right. Yeah, right. Like, they're walking through the village and the guys it's are like, all, oh my you know, gosh. Yeah. I bet there's just like a major city in Colombia somewhere that just looks <laughs> kind of like anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so it's this really kind of um, frustrating uh, dynamic where, you know, these films that have opportunities to, or they had opportunities to have people of color mm-hmm. in the film and, and, and then that's the approach that they take well, with I them. Mean, so I, I look at those movies kind of like for what they are and we, we see like such a huge difference because of what is available now. Yeah. And right. Like, exactly. Uh, like byproducts of just how much content there is out there is that it's mm-hmm. opened up so many more doors and there mm-hmm. are so many different stories being told. And because we're able to see that now it, you know, you can more clearly see a movie like romancing the stone for like what it was. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm glad that people who are growing up watching movies and TV now, their, their new baseline will be what we see yeah. where there's a lot more. Right. Diversity. A totally and, different thing with and growing yeah. up with a different sort of brainwashing, I suppose, <laughs> um, in a way. Um, but yeah, it is. It's 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 hard. It is so hard because I think that is a thing. Is like we want to judge all these movies from then, like according to today's standards. And I really don't think we can. You know, right. like we just we were who we were then. Like even even we like you know like the people who now are standing up and saying me too. There was a time when we were like. You know, we, we didn't say that, you know, right. it's like, we just accepted it. And it's like, and it's, so it's like, it's, it's, it's a growth. It's a growth on both ends together. It's like, we were, I wasn't ever calling it out. I never even noticed at the time. So how is it fair for me to say, if I wasn't noticing it, that, you know, that, 
but the other people who were also equally enmeshed in it shouldn't have, should have noticed it. You know, it's, it's, it's a growth process, I think. And it, it is, it's the reason we can't, you know, I think it, it doesn't necessarily like you can't watch it now with the same, same eyes. And so people who watch it now, like my brother-in-law, for example, it's like, no, yeah. <laughs> yeah. versus if, we, if you can just like keep it in, within the context of what it was made and not take it too seriously and, you know, recognize its shortcomings, but not necessarily like, be like, well, yeah, it's a product of its times, you know? I yeah, mean, for, no, for, it's really well said. For what it's worth, at the end, when Jack is trying to decide, am I going to try to like pull this alligator back up and get the get the yeah. stone, or am I going to save uh, Joan Wilder? And Joan he's Wilder. like, I'll, okay, okay, I'll save her. I'll let go of the snapper. And he he completely blows it. He tries to fire off a gun that either is just out of ammo or is jammed. Meanwhile, she kind of handles it. She like, handles yeah. it. She, that yeah. is the one thing I love. I mean, not the one thing I love, but I yeah, love yeah. that. Yeah. She beats his stump and lets him it's on so fire true. and dispatches him. And by the time he comes up, she's like, yeah, I, I'm fine. Yeah. She yeah. did not need him to rescue no. her. She, she takes care of it. Which and- is also like her book. In the opening, where it's so true, Angelina takes care of herself. Yeah, yeah. Angelina. <laughs> Angelina. That's right, Angelina, the hero. <laughs> you know, and one thing that I didn't even realize, I'm like, oh, I hate when I miss these little callbacks. But like, I guess, um, you know, in the beginning of the film, when when the narration is happening over the action of the of the book. Um, uh-huh. and they talk about the like the bad guys, like, how do you want to die? Slow, like such and such or like fast. molasses like, in yeah. January. <laughs> yeah. And, and then Zolo says that to her at the end, he's like, how do you want to die? Oh, shit. Well? I yeah. Didn't pick that and, up either. and he's oh, like, I didn't like, pick that up yeah, either. That's so I funny either. And, but he's like slow, like a snail or fast, like a shooting star. Okay. Oh my yeah. gosh. And Oh, I, like, I wonder, but that's so funny. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, I, I totally miss that. All of these different viewings of the film, but that's crazy. But that's kind of fun then, because then you like you pick something up new every time you watch. Yeah, it. but yeah. that apparently. Um, so I guess, and and I'm I'm happy with the way that the film turned out. All things considered, that we just talked about. Um, right. I guess though, like one of like at one of the earlier screenings, it really did poorly. I don't know if you had mm-hmm. come across this information, Krishna. That yeah. Um, it just like yeah wasn't wasn't received well and it was like so bad that i guess that they took like zemeckis was supposed to um direct cocoon they took him off because they mm-hmm. just thought that mm-hmm. it wasn't gonna fly and and so he did I'm, I'm surprised he got like the additional funds to do so but apparently like he made all the first of all he made a, a lot of changes in the editing room and so he brought down the the length of the film but then also he reshot mm. a lot of um things like Last night, um, after we were done watching the movie, Derek, I don't know if you realized this, but like, cause so Krishna, we were watching like some deleted scenes. Oh, and, I know. I, I'm oh, cool. Yeah. And so one of the deleted scenes that we were watching was essentially the same conversation that Jack and Joan have inside of the airplane mm-hmm. where like among some of the things that they talk about, you know, he's like, you haven't even asked my name and things like that. And uh-huh. instead they're having this conversation just like in the jungle. And, and so I guess they reshot that oh. to provide like a little bit more of a framework for their relationship and more of like an intimacy in, in that conversation. Yeah. yeah. And so I thought that was really interesting. Cause I do think like that was probably very much needed. Yeah. yeah I agree. Was, uh, 
uh, rightly deleted. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think that is that, that that was a smart thing to do. And then the other thing I also read that they also added was um, that whole beginning part in her apartment. He he shot that after after he got the feedback to set up more of like a contrast because to see like her journey from like what she was into what she becomes. And so I think all of that, I, I agree because I wanted even more of that, honestly, like yeah. after watching it, this, this go around, um, I was like, I just, I, I see, I see her turning, but I just felt like I just wanted more. And I don't know now, cause I, you know, now, I guess now, cause I'm an actor or whatever. I was just like, Oh, I just want to see more of how she, she becomes this person or, you know, I just want to see more and more. And I just love those moments. Like that plane moment. I love it. Like, it's like, they just have such a spark. Mm-hmm. They're like their chemi- their chemistry on screen chemistry. I just like love them. And um, so like the moment, like in the, and you know, they're dancing and this, I just wanted more of that to just kind of see it, you know, and maybe more, more bickering. I don't know. I like, I just, I just, I did thought not want like those were needed. What'd you say? <laughs> you, you did not want more? More dancing. <laughs> more dancing. It felt more dancing. It was enough dancing. Great actor, we, but. <laughs> what were you going to say? I was like, can we just talk for just one second, though, about like the awkward like hotel like bed seed totally. like, the most awkward positioning yes. ever i was like yes. what is going on Bare-ass thank Michael you Douglas in, again in between this is a pg movie <laughs> and and when we were watching like look we're not prudes by any means but like we're watching this scene. I'm like, it's really uncomfortable that like he's just literally still between her legs. And then, and then it like, <laughs> then it pans like, down a little bit. Like, yeah. What did you say, Krishna? It's like it's just like so like odd. It was like, is this how people normally just have conversations in bed? Like versus like, yeah, I'm like I, I feel like uh, if we're in just like, like post intimate moment with them. Yeah. I actually think kind of the go-to where they're both like laying side by side is kind of the more comfortable way to converse. Um, right. But, you know. <laughs> so, well, I'm still on top of you. Yeah. Let's talk about your sister and the kidnapping. Yeah. <laughs> like, you can tell I mean, it's like they're just like, we want a beautiful shot, but you need to cover up these two spots. Yeah, And just exactly. make sure like nothing is seen. So let's just, and how long can you hold it? Because it looked like I was like, yeah. I swear, he's like, <laughs> He's like, I bet you his like muscles are shaking under there. He's like, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Just <laughs> that's hilarious because you know what? That's actually what goes through my head when I see those. Like when I know that probably there's like a no nudity clause. Uh, what is it called? Um, clause. Clause. Thank you. Nudity writer. Or whatever, um, yeah. 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 When I know that for for male or female, um, that that you know. That's not going to happen in the film. I'm always like really attuned to basically the choreography of yeah. how they move in that scene. Cause it's like, they have to be so uh, deliberate with making sure that the bits and pieces are not shown. <laughs> so I'm always what the rules about were that. back then compared. I feel like they, that has actually come forward a little bit mm-hmm. since the eighties, as far as like, the number of people that can be on set and yeah. specific people that yeah. have to be there to observe what's going on. I don't know if they had that in 84. Now you would have an No, because I feel like there was tons of nudity like in the 80s. Totally. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm just thinking about all those like fun romp movies of like, I was just like, oh, there's there's the nudity. Like, you know, like what just <laughs> was I mean, that necessary? No. T- typically just, boobs. 
typically yeah. Yeah, it's, he just typically you know, just boob. Yeah. <laughs> but like just you said, I mean, it, is, it has been a long time since I've seen a police academy movie, but like I feel like that was a series where that was yeah. part of it. I mean, like Revenge of the Nerds. Oh, oh yeah. Um, Crocodile yeah. Dundee. I remember Crocodile Dundee. Man. Yeah, yeah, 80s really went for it with like just the gratuitous boobage. Um, yeah, <laughs> but they, you know what? I I don't know if it's because at this point in time, well, Kathleen Turner, to be quite honest, was like really kind of in the beginning stages of her career at this point. Yeah, so, um, and she had done like Body Heat, which was, yeah, I haven't seen yeah. Body Heat, but I know that's like a super sexy, like you know, she was steamy. like the sex yeah, bomb in that. That's, that's steamy. the word I was gonna yeah. steamy. Steamy and yeah, steamy. We, I don't think yeah. I haven't seen it. Have you I haven't seen, seen it. Yeah, so mm-hmm. so I'm not sure what what is uh, shown in that movie. But uh-huh. um, but you know what? I will say this much, though. Like, as much as we were just talking about all the gratuitous what have you, and and your brother-in-law is completely right. It is a creepy moment when Jack <laughs> is, like, eyeing her and he sees, like, the luggage. But, like, it is somewhat innocent. Look at that I'm going to lick is, my lips. It is Fucking innocent. Weirdo. Actually, what is more... Um, like I noticed this in the very opening, like not to be sound like a creeper, but like while they're showing the scenes from her book, I mean, the woman's wearing like a, a sopping wet white yeah. very thin shirt and you can very mm-hmm. much see what's underneath it. Yeah. And yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I was like, I was like, Oh wow. I don't remember that from like being a kid. And I like, wonder if they didn't show that on TBS or TV. Yeah, oh, you're right. I bet you I missed a lot of that stuff. Like on TV again, family friendly, like it yep, just, yep. It did, all that just like went over my head. And I didn't, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. They still had mm-hmm. the, uh, the bricks of pot scene, which at the time I didn't understand why that was my dad's favorite scene. <laughs> <laughs> Well, when he was like, I mean, when, when I, I think the first, I mean, d- definitely last night was not the first time I realized that they were bricks of pot, but, um, like when, when they were throwing, when he was throwing them onto the fire, I was like, you would just absolutely be passed out. I mean, if you're yeah. like inhaling, yeah. you would be that, uh, Michigan cop who called 911 mm-hmm. calling in to say like, I think I'm dead. Yeah. I mean, that I was like. Yeah, I think that was the first time too for me. I didn't realize that. Like, I I thought they just passed out from being tired and they had drunk. Like, since they had a couple of bottles of whatever that they were drinking. But yeah, and then I was like, oh yeah, that oh got it. Yeah, like, <laughs> there's copious amounts of copious amount. totally did not get that. Yeah, yeah, it's so funny. I, mean, I went to college. Yeah, she was. Like, <laughs> I went to college. Yeah, I was like, well, oh. that that actually kind of brings it back to like what we were talking about before where I mean, look, again, it's a product of its time. I think that what what I hope we're moving past in terms of cuz like, look, a big part of her arc, sure, it's her becoming more adventurous, but mm-hmm. also there's a very like noticeable change in appearance and I think that like mm-hmm. I hope we're past this point where her Look, she was well within her right when she first landed in Columbia to be kind of like, I don't know what we're right. going to call uptight, high strong. Like she doesn't speak the language. She doesn't her know where she is. Her sister was going to be killed. Her sister was And her brother-in-law killed. was found in yes. pieces. And yeah. yeah. And she's been summoned here by kidnappers. So yeah, you're right. A hundred percent. Like. She just wanted to find the Hotel Cartagena in Cartagena. <laughs> yeah. I love that that's the choice they make of a hotel name. But uh, like just to really put like put a fine point on it. Hotel yeah. Cartagena in Cartagena. Where is it at? Am I Cartagena. saying it right? No. I, You're saying it right? 
I thought I was saying her anyway. Yeah, no, I just wanted I, to be I do, sure. I do have a track record of saying words wrong. <laughs> oh yeah, me too, me too. I have a track record of saying like names wrong. Yes. <laughs> My roommate Joe was like, what was that All again? Time. All time. Jack said Cartagena. Cartagena. Yeah. <laughs> but so I, like, I do love that she kind of finds this like uh, sen- sense of strength in herself Mm-hmm. And and that's part of her journey, but it is just I guess I will say like annoying and and like to your point, like I wasn't really probably thinking about it as a kid at all. I probably was Mm-mm. thinking like, oh, she looks so pretty at the end, you know, or something right. like that. It's it's um, so subconscious, right? Yeah. It's it's literally brainwashing, right? You're not thinking it, about it, yeah, exactly. And you know, it's just again, you know, we could be redundant on this point, but like product of its times. But I I I think we are thankfully in many, many ways moving past like the woman's appearance being part of mm-hmm. like her quote change. And it's more like an internal emotional, uh, you know, intellectual type thing. But I will say that for its time, the fact that like, she didn't have to have Jack rescue her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was like a huge, huge win for the film. Like, and, yeah. and the fact that it was, you know, I love that Robert Zemeckis made that choice that she didn't need mm-hmm. him. So, right. so I love that about the film, and and so in a teensy tiny way, it's actually pretty pro- progressive for that time. I so. think so yeah. too. I think, um, I think it is. Mm-hmm. There's no there's no greater illustration of this contrast between her pre like the beginning of the movie and the end of the movie than how she dealt with all of the aggressive uh, guys selling crap on the sidewalk. <laughs> She's yeah. so frazzled and harassed in the beginning and then she's just walking by like ah, ha, ha, get away that actually yeah. is a pretty pretty appropriate place to bring the conversation because we're probably coming to the end of our this amazing conversation um so at the end no so derek's bringing up her very uh casually brushing off all the very aggressive <laughs> street yeah. street vendors that are are approaching Hyper her aggressive. but okay right. so this boat I got to ask you, and maybe ask your brother-in-law, <laughs> this boat that is parked on a street in New York City, I mean, I I think last night was the first time where I was like, what? Why? Why? On so many levels, why is this happening? We were like, we were, we definitely made a moment. We, he, uh, he actually did make a comment. He was like, no, but why is the, he was like, okay, so boat is parked there. Maybe that's the way people park it. Like if you, if you're going to drive a boat through town, cause you have to deliver it or something. But he was like, but the mass doesn't have yep. to be full up. Like it doesn't yeah. have to be full up. That can be down. Like why that has to be a driving hazard. And then they're like making out. And then yeah. he starts going. And I'm like, who's driving? <laughs> who's driving this thing? Does he have an, an assistant? Like a helper? Like, Because if um, you believe that you can transport a boat in that way, I feel like... Can you have passengers on the boat then, though? Yeah, yeah. There, yeah. That, good point. So, so many things were just complete... And, like, again... I to me in a way it's endearing because I feel like it's a it's a rom com right yeah it's a it's a rom com and it's a very eighties way to end a movie right but, I start wondering and then that saxophone just blasts yes you yes you're like, it takes you right fine. back it takes you right back and you're like oh, I remember where I am <laughs> but everything that you said is completely spot on why is the boat there first of all the Angelina I, the Angelina. Yeah, um, and and it does say Columbia, so I'm guessing like so I don't I don't really know anything about boats, but if you have like it does seem like boats typically have like a country 
under the name. And so does that mean that that's where like the vote was like from? I don't really understand. How maybe. That maybe. maybe. So let's say that he, he acquired the stone, somehow traded yeah. it for a lot of money. Sure. And mm-hmm. then made those really cool crocodile boots. Yeah, those those yeah. boots are banging. Fully yeah. properly <laughs> registered the boat in Colombia. Has all the documentation because yeah. he probably needed that to get it into New York. Well, yeah. that's my point. Is that like again? Like I know this is just pretty, too much of a deep dive for romantic stone. But like, but it doesn't even make sense <laughs> to me. Okay, so you get this money from the stone, which actually, like, I hope he also was investing some of that money because I feel like that stone was worth more than just that boat. It was right, right, it, yeah. No wait, that also, was a statue. <laughs> yeah, that was the priceless pig statue. Um, also, so did he? Real quick, just to take yeah. to, take it back. So did he dive back into the water and get that stone from the crocodile? Is that what happened? Yes. That's did he find? That he I, found the crocodile. Yeah. Yes. yes. Okay. He, Got it. I know, which in itself is like completely absurd that he could find that one animal that he knew. Yeah, because had... I thought that was the whole point why he wasn't going to let the crocodile go because right. he had to choose. He was like, if I let it go, it's going into the ocean and there's no finding that crocodile again. So I was like, he gave up the stone. But then you're completely he... right. He never would have found the crocodile again. I don't know. So I guess maybe. Here's my, here's oh, he said theory. it had digestion. Actually- Sorry, your theory. Mm-hmm. They're listed as alligators. <laughs> and so maybe oh. these alligators weren't able to survive in the salt water. Maybe oh. they're territorial and so they don't go very far. So it, it plopped itself into the salt water, into the ocean. And because it couldn't survive, it died. And then he just pulled out the, the stone. The only thing that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, he like, did say he'd had digestive issues. Yeah. It had digestive yeah. issues, he said. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing that, like, even like makes the most tenuous logistical slash realistic uh connection is that the animal was already like having issues and so that's how he could identify that that's right the one. right and so then he yeah. maybe found it by coincidence and then you got it exactly. okay okay i can buy that that's i can buy that it is rock rom-com i'll i'll go along with that yeah totally. we just uh, we you, just saved this movie but yeah but i still don't understand <laughs> like after you know trading it in for whatever copious amounts of cash i'm right paying, and we obviously invested half of it was well, you said pretty smart thing to do yeah exactly but like okay so then you get the boat made or you buy the boat in columbia i feel like if because he had this like i mean this was his passion he even had a framed picture of yeah the it's boat. true that boat was like yeah definitely on his vision board for exactly. sure <laughs> and i don't know i don't know like again i know nothing about the boating world but like i feel like you probably would just come to the states to get your boat wouldn't you right like, yeah I don't, I don't know Although he has a record with the police. So maybe, so you know what, actually, Anna, I'm going to call you. I'm going to say he probably did not invest the money. He probably has a bunch. It probably did make more money than just how much that boat costs. How much that boat costs. And he probably has it in a briefcase on the boat. That's true. I bet you he's got all of his money stashed away. (laughs) That's actually a really good point. And Mm -hmm. another good point is that because he did have trouble with the law and didn't even want Joan to mention his name to the authorities, Mm -hmm. I feel like he wouldn't have stepped. He must really love her because mm-hmm. that probably was a huge risk for him to come back mm-hmm. to the state. Right. Like a and- whole, whole thing. So mm-hmm. what that being said, still honestly don't understand how the boat gets <laughs> actually in New York city. I gotta be a hundred percent honest. I did not anticipate yeah. this. <laughs> it just, it's the most like, ridiculous ending. I mean, it really could have, I mean, like, 
I don't know. You could have ended it with like he walks up to her, shows her her his awesome alligator boots, and then they like right. You know, he shows like I don't know. They walk to a pier or something. Right, a pier. I think I think if she had gotten some sort of like mysterious note or something, you know, exactly. Like just like she got that mysterious package from her brother-in-law at the beginning. Mirror that mysterious note, but this time, as opposed to fear, she goes with excitement because she knows it's Jack. That Krishna, you just made a better ending no let's just write a script anna let's just get to it and just write this 80s rom-com that needs to be made oh my gosh krishna this was such such oh my gosh it was so fun you guys this was so fun I like I mean I I know I sound like just such a broken record but I always just love these parts of the podcast and like again this episode no exception because you brought like so much energy in and, and notes. so and notes were there um let's see we talked about the music <laughs> we talked about the laugh out loud moments we talked about their chemistry um and no that was everything you know what though we covered it all you guys we covered a lot we covered a lot i have to say okay so like no no snark or anything like did you actually enjoy the score or did (laughs) you you know we were kind of joking about like the sacks and the whole thing. So like, Oh, I, you know what? The reason I did was because it took me back. Like it was just like an, like I, you know how they say it's, it's so true. Like there's certain smells and like sounds like it just, it just immediately took me back to the eighties. And there's just something, you know, like I was a kid, like I, you know, I was, that, that was like the decade I was like still like a real child, you know, like I kind of, I really grew up in the nineties, but like eighties, I was like a, a kid kid. So I just, you know, that's like the times like I was most like with my parents and like snuggling and like taking care of and didn't ever have to, you know, and so it just takes me right back to like childhood, like, you know, especially like right now when there's like so much going on and like, you know, we're just like dealing with a lot, you know, it's like it immediately takes you back to time when you're like, oh, I'm protected, I'm safe. And I don't have to think about anything because someone else is taking care of me. You know, it takes me back to that. So yeah, I definitely I, love that. It, it, I felt like it was so typical. I felt like it was very like generic. Like, 80s. yep, it's yeah, like very super eighties. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I the reason I was curious is so I'm I'm sure like you're familiar with the name. So the composer is Alan Silvestri, and what. Here, here's the funny thing is that so like Derek and I, we, you know, watching this movie numerous times would typically make fun of the score um, uh-huh. and say it's like not over that, not over all that great. So this guy, um, I believe this was like his first uh, collaboration with Zemeckis. And because actually the film was such a big hit, it enabled Zemeckis to move forward with Back to the Future. And oh. he, yeah, so he wanted Silvestri on Back to the Future, but because Steven Spielberg was a producer on Back to the Future, Steven Spielberg <laughs> was actually like, "Are you sure?" Because it's like it's absolutely not. not. Yeah, <laughs> 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 romancing the stone. But oh, I guess like, 
you know, Zemeckis was like, trust me on this. And so this guy, like he actually, you know, like really went to bat for him and it all worked out because like like, he did all the Back to the Future movies. And those have great scores. Like who doesn't remember Back to the Future? Wait, no, that's Indiana Jones. But I remember Back to the Future. It's a very iconic score. And then he like he kept working with Zemeckis, like he did Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yes. This is the guy. So this is probably the score that I know him best from. He did the score for Forrest Gump, another Mm -hmm. Zemeckis film. (gasps) Oh yeah. I didn't realize he did the score for that. I knew that was a Zemeckis film, but I didn't realize he did the score for that. That's amazing. Oh yeah, that had a great score. Incredible career, and then even a, he's done like the like uh, he did Avengers: Infinity War, Endgame. So like this guy, oh wow, he's good. Like, like, yeah, he like went to bat for him way back when, and he's had this like incredible career. Like he, don't get me wrong, he probably maybe would have you know busted through anyway. But like I feel like you know it's just interesting how those things come about, where like somebody says, "No, I believe in this person," and then yeah. you know what happens. I so. think we also should give some credit to. Sure. Oh, I know the uh, person say. who wrote, produced, and performed the actual soundtrack of the song "Romancing the Stone." Eddie Grant. Yeah, you might remember him from Electric Avenue. Oh no, yeah. I didn't realize. Oh my gosh, that's I, so funny. What I read is that like they ended up just like not really wanting to use the song that much, oh, and that's too bad. and so. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I wonder why. I can't imagine. I really think it was only at the very beginning, at the very end. Did, yeah. Was it like all throughout? I don't think I, so, right? I don't think so. And maybe moments, so like, yeah. Like you could hear hints of it. I think sometimes. Yeah, yeah. But like when the film came out, he was like really bummed that they didn't really use the song that much, and so he just released it on his own. And I oh. guess. Able to do like a video music video that has like clips from the movie. I don't exactly know how that like got worked out. With, yeah, we're like, finding licensing. that though. We're, I'm Did you guys that. find that music video? That's so funny. I wonder. <laughs> I not yet, but um, and then there's and then the one for Jewel of the Nile. So again, not romancing the stone, but like when the going gets tough by Billy Ocean. That was oh that yeah. Song. So oh man, I don't. That's so funny. It's like when you place. You know, like when you when you remember people, but then you don't remember that they were part of that. And you're like, oh, that's oh, that's so funny. I don't remember. I didn't remember that. that I like, love most about the podcast is like when we're like researching these movies is like you see all these connections to yeah. like, where people went in their careers and like who they've been working with. And I just mm-hmm. like find that so fascinating. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So good on Alan Silvestri. Yeah. <laughs> He he and who, I mean, who knows? I mean, we say it's like not a great score, but I wonder if he was just being guided, you know, like it's a it's like supposed to be a romantic um, like, a, a you know, she's like a fantasy romantic novel. So he's like, write something that's fantasy romantic, you know. And so I don't know. Maybe he was just like, dude, this isn't great, but this is what you want. So <laughs> No, you're totally right. And that's actually a really great point to bring up for individuals who, you know, maybe aren't like closely affiliated with the industry is that like people have to kind of take the blame for the outcome of something, but what's Mm -hmm. never really fully like acknowledged or maybe understood is that, you know, people get notes and people are told Mm -hmm. to do things sometimes a certain way. And so sometimes there's very little leeway in getting to like, do it the way that you think it should be. Like, so you know what this needs is more sacks, more sacks, Alan, more sacks. <laughs> Just throw it in there. Like, 
We want, I just really want to feel the romance novelist of this whole thing. I'm like, Joan Wilder's book is coming to life. Like, what would be her soundtrack in her mind? Sax. I just want the volume of that sax to go through the roof. And I want the volume of literally everything else brought down a little. Just to emphasize it. Well, on that note, this has been a true pleasure. You have been amazing. And we are just Aww. so thrilled that you agreed to be on the show. So thank you so yeah, much. Thank you. Ditto. You guys are so great. Thank you so much. It was so fun talking to you guys. It was so like easy and fun. So thanks for having Thank me. We will definitely keep that in. That will not get edited out. <laughs> and, and um, you know, look, I know that uh, the greater part of this year, the last six months in particular, have been a little wacky and weird and upside down. But I just wanted to kind of see, you know, have you been able to like work on any projects right now? Like what, what has been uh, creatively fueling you at the moment? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess we've been just doing like a lot of writing and, um, there's just been some things that I guess kind of like, um, she had it coming. Like we, there was some, a couple things that we taped last year that we got a chance to like edit and put together. And so we're just kind of putting stuff out on YouTube and on Facebook, just like fun, small skits to do like during this time when, you know, like you can't really go out and tape a bunch of stuff, but yeah, that's yeah. been really fun. It is a, mm-hmm. uh, a, you know, tough time for creatives because it is, you know, in every sense, a collaborative kind of world. And, mm-hmm. you, you know, unless you're just going to do Zoom movies or Zoom web series <laughs> or Zoom yeah. shows, Or in animation. Or animation, I guess. Yeah. Right. Yeah, animation. Mm-hmm. Okay. But, uh, but yes, and for, for all of our listeners out there, um, you know, I don't know if it's been like really clarified, but Krishna is one of the amazing actors in the short that we did last year she had it coming which is currently going through the festival circuit so she Woo-hoo! i mean she is like really just so so good in this short and well, um, you definitely, know you're, you're all in the writing. No, really like <laughs> it was so all the writing out, <laughs> so many laugh out loud moments because of your take on like the dialogue and just the moments and um, yeah, so hopefully there will be a chance for everybody to get to see you in action um, sometime soon. So, <laughs> but uh, thank oh. you again, and you know what? Open invitation. Anytime you want to come back on the show, we'd love to have you. Oh my gosh! Thanks, you guys. This is so fun. I will totally take you up on that, and we can <laughs> we'll keep, talk uh, keep we'll, talking. We'll yeah. Do- do all the police academy movies and yeah, yeah, <laughs> I feel like we did we did kind of hit a few different okay, you know. okay, true. <laughs> all right take care sweetie okay bye guys and so that was our really fantastic chat with krishna smitha she's incredible and looking forward to having her on again so that was great and i especially enjoyed our uh discussion on vhs TV recording because <laughs> yeah. that's something that I had completely forgotten about. I mean, we will set something to record and it's literally just clicking on the icon record whole series, man, so many steps. But back then that was nuts. That was it, such a commitment. There was really like a uh, art form to it doing it well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it gets into like all the like mixtape type of totally. discussion. Yeah. yeah. And then the inevitable meltdowns when you like miss something that you really wanted to tape. Yeah. Oh, the tracking on this one's broken tracking God man kids it. just don't know today Fucking tracking <laughs> so you 
kind of actually, I think, brought it up even before our chat with Krishna as far as like watching it again. I mean, this is just one of those like, okay, so you mentioned Blade Runner and saying that that's like a good nap time movie. <laughs> I'm this is not to disparage the film, but because it's just so familiar. Yeah. At this point, this is a great. Oh, it's on TBS on a Saturday afternoon. Put it on and take a little nap. Yeah. I mean. Or watch it. Listen to that sweet saxophone yeah. and, and go into dreamland. There yeah, you go. Going into dreamland. <laughs> so as far as like call to action, I mean, I, d- I don't even know where to begin with a call to action. I mean, the only thing I could think of is like if you were to have your own adventure, what would like because we kind of all can't travel right now. Who was the best time you ever had? Oh, no, <laughs> no, no. We are not doing that call to action. <laughs> Although it's it's way better. But uh so I guess dealer's choice. <laughs> but if you do want to get in touch with us, we'd love to hear from you. And you can uh find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh same handle for all three, and that is at 80s Montage Pod and 80s is 80s. Like us, review us, tell us you want it to be longer, tell us you want it to be shorter. <laughs> we might consider any feedback you provide. I don't know. So, sneak peek. What's coming up next? I'm so excited because do you know why I'm so excited? Is it the start of uh, Halloween? It picks? sure is. Nice. What do we got? What's what's first on the uh, on the list for do Halloween? You, do you want me to give you a clue? Yeah. Red Rum. Oh, is it The Shining? Yeah. <laughs> My dad used to hate when I did that. Um, so, yes, we are starting with our Halloween movies. And we're going to kick things off with The Shining. Super stoked. Yeah, I, I love that book. And it scared the living crap out of me when I was a, a teenager and I read The Shining. The movie is just so bizarre. It's, like, really weird. It's one of the more successful Stephen King horror movies uh, because he probably – had someone who can come close to matching his like bizarre imagination mm-hmm. to make it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had never seen the, there have been remakes. There was like, you know, the guy from wings was played the role of Jack Nicholson. What? That. Yeah. Yeah. One of the, one of the pilots, one of the two brothers from that show wings was in the role uh, that Jack Nicholson is in. I can't remember the name. Jack of. Torrance. Jack Torrance. Yeah. Um, so I've never seen that one, but the original is just a really, strange movie we still need to see dr sleep yeah we do yeah maybe we'll make it a double feature we won't maybe we will (laughs) don't know but anyway in any case please join us for that episode which will come out two weeks from today yeah and thank you for hanging with us we hope you're all staying safe and well and that's all i got we'll try to do better next time i promise (laughs) bye bye